All right. We also have a dog named Lucifer. <laughs> Call her Lucy. Listen to Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we do pray that you would teach us today. As you, we know, we are confident that you have been by your spirit through the pastors before me. We pray, God, that you would open up our minds to respond to your word, to believe them, to enjoy them, to rejoice in them, to obey them, and to be changed by them. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I was dead, <laughs> and I knew I was dead. For months. In fact, I knew that I was dead because I kept meeting these, these young people who were so alive. They had something qualitatively different than anything I had experienced before. I didn't grow up in the church. I'd never heard the gospel. I'd never been to a church service. I was 17 years old, and I'm meeting these Christians who are demonstrating love toward me and compassion toward me, and um, and I was pretty messed up in a lot of ways. And they were alive. Like, they were spiritually alive. It was clear. It was obvious. And I was dead and damned. And that was obvious. And I wanted to be alive. And one night, while reading the Gospel of Matthew on my awesome waterbed, I, uh, <laughs> it was the 80s. Well, this would have been 1990 by now, right? I'm reading the, and I, listen, I, at this point, I had gone to church three times in my life, and I'm reading the Gospel of Matthew. It's probably the third time I've read the Bible at this point, and just a little portion of it. I'm reading the Gospel of Matthew. I'm in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm on my awesome waterbed. I'm reading it, and in the midst of reading it, in my confusion, my consternation, in the midst of my fear of condemnation, I went from death to life, I believed. Like in an instant, in a heartbeat. I didn't, I didn't raise my hand, you know. I didn't sing a song. I didn't make any pledges. I went from not believing to confessing Jesus as Lord in a heartbeat. No one was in that room but me and the Lord. I rolled off my bed and I started praying irreverently because I didn't know how. And I began to pray and everything began to change. I read the Bible a lot because I'd never read the Bible before, really. I didn't know the story of Cain and Abel. Didn't know the story of David and Bathsheba. I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know any of that stuff. So I'm reading the Bible all the time. I'm growing a lot. I'm learning a lot. I find these Christians, and the most on-fire, zealous, committed Christians to this day that I have met, teens. Those teens. <laughs> so I was, I was impacted by them. Praise God for them. But then smash cut to two years later, it would have been 1992, and I wake up one morning and I realize, and as I'm waking up, like, wow, you know what, I haven't been reading my Bible, I haven't been praying, and I feel kind of spiritually cold and complacent, I feel different, things don't feel right, 
and I grab my Bible, my NIV Bible, and I drive out to this park, and I run out to the middle of this big park where I would later propose to my wife. Anyways, I drive out to this place, and I open up my Bible, and I start to read 1 Peter 1. And in that moment, as I'm reading God's word, just like before, I experience this kind of revitalization. I, I'm, it's like I'm being made alive again, not being saved again, but something's happening. I begin to change. It's like my eyes are being opened, and I'm seeing my sin, and I'm confessing, and I'm believing, and I'm finding joy. And here's what I've found. Oftentimes throughout my life, I've been following Jesus now for over 30 years, um, what I find is that I'll hit a season or, or a period of time in which I'm doubting or I'm drifting. Sometimes I'll doubt what's in this book, and it's my job to believe it and preach it. I get paid to do that, and sometimes I doubt it. I'll get to this place where I begin to doubt it. Is it really true? Can I really trust it? Because I know the arguments. I've gone, I've gone to the schools. I've read the books, and I open it up, and I begin to read it, and that changes everything. I experience a kind of revival. That's in each of these situations that I've described, it is essentially a revival, a work of God in me to bring me to a place of life or liveliness. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today is revival and the scripture and you. Because uh, you can have a Bible, you can have a goat skin, ESV, Omega, Heritage Edition, you know, written in the blood of the martyrs. I don't know what it, you could have the whole thing. If you don't have the spirit and the word, you will not experience life. Because yes, it's true, God uses his word to bring us to faith and to sanctify us, but he doesn't do it without the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes what we need is his work of revival. So let me give you a definition of revival. Here's what I mean. And this definition of revival is going to be what structures the whole of our time together here. I'll say it a few times. Revival is the awakening of the soul from spiritual death or lethargy through the work of the Spirit and the ministry of the Word. I'll say it again. Don't worry. I'll say it a few times. Revival is the awakening of the soul from spiritual death or lethargy through the work of the Spirit and the ministry of the Word. So what we're going to do is we're going to parse this out, right, into three basic parts. What revival is, it is the awakening of the soul. And so we're going to talk about that and oh, the awakening of the soul from spiritual death or lethargy. And then we'll talk about how this is through the work of the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no revival. And how the Spirit uses the ministry of the Word, no ministry of the Word, no revival. I'll try to keep it brief and practical, though JT took some of my time, went a little long. No, he said, he said we're a little flexible on the time. So I'm not going to belabor things, I'm not going to go long, I just, I want it to be clear and practical for us all for me, if I'm being honest, especially. Okay, so what is revival? I'm arguing that revival is the awakening of the soul, internal, right? It's the awakening of the soul from spiritual death or lethargy through the work of the Spirit and the ministry of the Word. It's long, it's complicated. Sometimes I can be kind of blowhardy. I'm a preacher. I like to put lots of words together. Um, 
think about it like this. Uh, Richard Owen Roberts, who is an authority on the history of revival, okay, he's, he's, this, he's like 180 years old. He used to live in Wheaton, super old dude. He preaches like Jeremiah. He's just like this. Not that I've heard Jeremiah. The point is, uh, <laughs> Richard Owen Roberts is the authority on, on the history of revival, and he defines revival like this. He says, revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit that produces extraordinary results. That's simpler, right? Yeah, mine's better. But his is simpler. <laughs> his is simpler, and it's helpful, right? It's an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit that produces extraordinary results. Now, by extraordinary, he does not mean extraordinary in kind. He means extraordinary in measure. Because what the Holy Spirit is doing whenever he is reviving, he is doing the same thing that he always does. He's not doing something new. He's convicting. He's converting. He's leading. He's feeling. He's filling. He's, he, is, he is moving. He's doing what he always does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So it's not new in kind. It's, it's, it's an extraordinary work in measure. It's a punctuated activity or accelerated activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of individuals or groups of people. And it's this awakening of a soul or souls from spiritual death or spiritual lethargy. And the scope of revival varies, right? So some, some people like to talk about personal revival. This is just the revival of the individual, you and the Bible, you and Jesus. Where you're going through, you're in a bad place, a spirit, you're confused, you're weak, you're wayward, and then you experience a kind of revival and you feel on fire again. That's a legit kind of revival. Otherwise, there's congregational revival. This is when revival comes to an actual church or a congregation. It's when a church has slipped into casual, unfeeling Christianity, and we just begin to go through the motions, and then revival comes, and the entire church is made alive and vibrant in faith and obedience. And then there's regional revival, right? Now, this is the kind of stuff that most historians like to talk about, and you read books about it. Regional revival, this is when cities or coasts are impacted with the work of the Holy Spirit. And you see this kind of revival happening as well. You see it in Scripture. You see it in Ezra and Nehemiah. You see it in the book of Acts, right? We see it in Scripture, but we also read about it in our history books from the, the Protestant Reformation in, 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 many, in many of its locations and places to the First Great Awakening to, uh, in the 1740s to the, the Second Great Awakening in the 19th century and so on and so forth. Revival takes different shapes and forms, but it's always essentially doing the same thing. It is awakening a soul or souls. Now, the first way that the Holy Spirit works in revival is awakening the soul from spiritual death. Here I'm talking about regeneration. That is, the work that the Holy Spirit does to bring a sinner from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's the making of a Christian, the making of a believer. Jesus talks about, you must be born again. One of the guys was talking about Nicodemus. I forget. Was he? Okay, there we go. Pastor John, talking about Nicodemus. Too many preachers, I get confused who said what. I just remember what they said. That's the important thing. <laughs> you must be born again. It doesn't matter what you've learned. It doesn't matter what you've read. It doesn't matter uh, how interested you are in having a conversation. If you aren't born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You must be made anew, or born from above. That's what I mean by awakening the soul from spiritual death. For example, Titus chapter 3. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you, so just listen. Take it in, or if you take a note, you can write them down. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. 
He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that causes us to be born again, and he always, always, without exception, does so in connection with the ministry of the word. This is what I mean by a revival from spiritual death. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 23, one more. In 1 Peter 1.23, it says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So this is a, a, an act of, of revival that every Christian has experienced. You might wonder, like, well, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced revival in my life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have. Because he brought you from death to life. That's vivification. That's the old word, right? It makes you alive. You've had it. And if you are... If you are blessed enough to actually remember your conversion, however young you might be, you probably remember the intensity, the love, the affection, the zeal, the mouthiness with which you would tell other people about Jesus, maybe, or the earnestness with which you would pray, or the sincerity with which you would worship. You remember? Some of you can. We've all experienced that kind of revival. It's the awakening of a soul. It's the first kind of revival. But the second kind of revival is what we most commonly think of when we think of revival. It's the, it's the awakening of a soul from lethargy, weariness, or wandering. Okay, it's a believer who has grown cold. So what, is, what do we mean by lethargy, right? Think of, listen, you guys have to know what this is, right? I know what it is. And I'm a professional Christian vocational Christian. I mean, it's like spiritual coldness and complacency. It's, it's, it's weakness. It's wandering. It's boredom with Jesus. It's impenitence. It's the indulging in sin while ignoring conviction, persisting in rebellion. It's what we sometimes call being backslidden. And the thing is with being backslidden is you don't have to look bad to be backslidden. Some of the prettiest people on stage singing and preaching are backslidden. It's not about how you look or how well you perform. It's the condition of your heart. Revival is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a new kind of work. It's an old kind of work. It's old. It's sanctification. It's conforming you to look more like Jesus. It's the renewal of your mind, but it tends to happen in a, in a punctuated and accelerated way. What does it do? It produces life and joy and change and witness. I mean, we know it produces life because that's what's happening when the Holy Spirit causes a person to be born again. Spiritual life takes the heart of stone out, puts in the heart of flesh that now beats with love for God. But we also get life as Christians from revival, not in that we finally are imparted with a new spiritual life that we didn't have before, but we are made alive in our senses. We have a liveliness now to our faith. We are sensitive once again to the Holy Spirit instead of remaining jaded in our conscience to the law of God. We get or experience life. A lot of these verses are going to come from uh, Psalm well, 119. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. That's the position. That's where he's at. My soul clings to the dust. He's humbled. He's eating the dirt. Give me life according to your word. 
He knows if there's going to be a vivification, an enlivening of his heart and his soul, it will only come from God, and it will come through his word. He needs to be revived. He needs to be changed. Psalm 119, verse 88. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. You see, the person who experiences revival becomes sensitive to their condition, their current condition, the, the fact that their communion with God has somehow been interrupted through either persistent sin or discouragement or whatever, and they're no longer walking in the ways of God. They're maybe, if they are, they're doing it in a perfunctory sort of fashion. And he says, no, I, I, I need you to give me life, life so that I can keep the testimonies of your mouth. I, I need to be made alive. I don't want to go through these, these motions dead. I don't, I don't want to have a dead orthodoxy or a dead confession of Christ. I want it to be true and lively. It brings about joy. Revival brings about joy. Psalm 85, verse 6 says it like this, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Will you, will you not revive us again so that we can do what we used to do, which we're not doing now, which is actually rejoice, find joy, satisfaction, happiness, and pleasure in singing your, your praise and walking through this life and experiencing difficulty, temptation, and affliction? Will you restore to me, sound familiar, the joy of thy salvation. And revival also moves people to speak, to talk. One of my favorite passages to meditate on when it comes to revival is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, and most of us think of Psalm 51 as, as the psalm of David's confession. It's after he's been confronted by Nathan for hooking up with a neighbor's wife and then sending that man off to be killed in a war so that he wouldn't get busted for not only hooking up with this girl, but getting her pregnant. He's confronted, he's convicted, he is ruined in his own mind, in his own conscience. Psalm 51 is the exploration of David's confession. And so we think about that. It's a psalm of confession. It's a psalm of repentance. Yes, it is. But it is very much a psalm about revival. Because look at what David is crying out for again and again and again. He is looking for, he is longing for revival. Psalm 51, I'm just going to read a couple of verses Starting in verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my sin, and cleanse me from my sin. Right? He knows what he has done, he is grieved by it, he sees his condition, and he talks about how his bones are weak, and he's, he's barely alive. So then what does he say? Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Or he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Change me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Or verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This is one of the things that, that revival does. It moves us to testify because once again, the power of God and the grace of God have been experienced in our hearts and it's hard to hold it in. Like Jeremiah says, your word is like fire in my bones and I can't hold it in any longer. It's got to come out. So this is the essence of, of revival, right? It's the work of the Spirit bringing life to people, individuals or groups of peoples. It's, 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 it's the Spirit's work. It's, it's, it's the work of the Word. But let me, just, let me just read something to you. This is an old book. I like books. I like old books in particular. And I got a few of these. 
Uh, these are accounts of revivals. In other words, when these, when these regional revivals would happen, especially in America, these regional where cities were being changed, whole churches were being transformed, people in mass because of the regular normal preaching of God's word were experiencing revival, people began to write about it. In fact, they would type up, here are all the things that happened, these really cool, amazing stories, and they would be printed in local newspapers. So what did revival look like? Well, here, uh, this is in 1818, Middleton, Connecticut. Christians generally began to feel the effects of a gracious visitation. Their meetings were more frequent, full, solemn, and interesting. It was astonishing to see the change that took place in two weeks. Saints were filled with transports of joy, and sinners were pricked in their hearts and began anxiously to inquire what they must do to be saved. Hundreds flocked to places of worship. The darkest nights, the, the most unfavorable weather, the unpleasant traveling did not hinder their assembling together. Though they were meeting every night in the week, that tends to happen when revival begins to spread and really happen. People stay longer, they meet more frequently, it begins to happen over and over again. Yet these were so crowded that many had to stand at the doors and the windows in order to hear the word of life, and some had to go away who could not get near enough to hear. Many of the young people who had been vain and thoughtless about eternity were now seen with their heads bowed down and trembling with fear. The hearts of some of the most obdurate sinners seemed to melt like wax before the fire, and many who would once not have been thought to be serious for the greatest consideration were now constrained to renounce their sinful ways to cry unto God for salvation." You read about great joy, happiness, people no longer abusing things or people in their communities, but being treating things rightly. Here we read, this is uh, Attleboro, uh, Massachusetts, around the same time. The scriptures were searched daily, especially by those who were under conviction, most of whom improved every moment they could spare in perusing them and seemed determined that nothing but the word of God should give them comfort or the direct measures of their future conduct. Indeed, they ate with the Bible in their hands, slept with it in their bosoms, and it seemed that all the world could not tempt them to part with this precious treasure. This was in the paper, guys. Revival produces results, fruit that people can actually see because lives are really being changed. So revival is an awakening of the soul, right? For salvation or for sanctification. But it happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. All that to say, revival is fundamentally God's work. It's not your work. It's not my work. We cannot manufacture revival. We cannot produce revival. We cannot plan revival. You cannot predict revival. Even though my friends down south like to hold revivals in which they invite preachers to come and preach under a tent and they preach the gospel, which is great. That's just called a conference, bro. But uh, they have everybody come in and they call it a revival. That's not a revival. That's a conference. Okay, it's a great thing. That's what this is. We love that. We preach. We believe in preaching and teaching. You cannot plan it. It is God's work, not ours. This is why you need to be aware of many people who love to talk about revival as if it is something that we can manufacture, like Charles Finney. Now, if you don't know who Charles Finney is, it's because you probably haven't heard a whole lot about revival in a more broadly Christian culture, because you can't go to many Bible college or seminaries without them holding up the flag of Finney as if he is the poster boy for all things revival. But he isn't. Finney said this about revival. Finney said that you could produce revival with the right use of the constituted means, which meant it's psychological, not spiritual, it's not a miracle, and if we do the right things, if we play the right cards, we can make it happen. 
He also denied original sin and justification by faith alone. So don't read Finney, okay? But here's the problem. People think about it. They may not know much about Finney, but they think about revival as if it is something they can orchestrate with a certain kind of worship service or a certain kind of flair or a certain kind of, 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 of planning and, and procedures. And if we do not root ourselves in a confidence that it is the Spirit and the Spirit alone who does it, then we are left with a counterfeit revival at best. Where we think it's the work of God when it is nothing more than manipulation or emotionalism. Why is it specifically the work of the Holy Spirit? Because it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of convicting, isn't it? The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit fills. Listen to John. Uh, John 14, just verses 15 through 15. John 14, John 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Listen, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. It's the Spirit that convicts. It's the Spirit that changes. So it's a work of God, specifically God the Holy Spirit. Getting this wrong doesn't just lead to a misunderstanding or revival. It leads to a, a, an unfortunate confidence in a work that we think is God's and isn't. And when it fails, who do we blame? When we say that revival is a work of the Holy Spirit, meaning it's the work of God, that means that revival is grace. It's not deserved. God doesn't owe it to you. The fact that you need revival is your problem. Right? I need revival because I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Right? That's where I drift. That's where I go. God doesn't owe it, but he gives it. It's undeserved, but it's desperately needed. And so this is, again, a reminder of the grace of God. Revival is an awakening of the soul from spiritual death or lethargy through the work of the Spirit and the ministry of the Word. Listen again, Psalm 119. We read it earlier, verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Or listen to verse 93. Psalm 119, 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Apart from the word of God, there is no salvation, there is no sanctification, there is no revival. You've got to have the spirit and the word. God didn't just give you the Bible, did he? He gave you the Holy Spirit. He didn't just give you the Holy Spirit. He gave you the Bible. But Baptists like to pretend, I'm a Baptist, Baptists like to pretend God didn't give us the Spirit, he only gave us the Bible. And my charismatic friends like to pretend he didn't give us really the Bible, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And we both get into trouble. Both desperate for revival, but very unlikely to experience it. We are saved and we are sanctified by the word. This includes revival. If you need revival, you open the book. If you need revival, open the book. Open God's word. Read the word. You see, our, the problem, though, is that when we need revival, our temptation is to close the book. 
That's what we do. Why? Because it's embarrassing. It's convicting. I feel like a hypocrite. I'm so stupid. Why am I so stupid? I'm so dumb. Like, the word's right there. God gave me all these things, and I'm not reading it. Now I feel stupid, and I don't want to read it. And, I'm not. and we just continue to push back farther and farther away. And all the while, we're wandering farther away from God's word, farther from the means of grace. Our hearts are growing harder. Our spirits are growing colder. We more desperately need revival more than any time before. But the more desperately we need it, it's almost like the less sensitive we are to our need. We get used to it. We get calloused to it. It's like we go through some, some sort of spiritual hypothermia. We don't, we don't know that we're cold. We start to feel kind of hot even. Your hope for revival, I'm telling you, your hope for revival in your spiritual coldness and apathy is the Spirit of God at work through the ministry of the Word. The question is, do you need Revival. Don't worry, I'm not going to be one of those preachers, I know a couple, uh, who will just like yell at you all and say, you're all terrible, you're all the worst kinds of Christians, you all need revival. I'm not going to say that, because I don't believe it's true. But I am confident that many of you desperately need revival. I do. How do you know? <laughs> How are you going to know if you, uh, if you need revival? What do, you, what do you look for? What are the signs? What are the symptoms that you're spiritually cold? Well, ask yourself, is the good news of Jesus Christ still good news to me right now? Because I know for all of you it's not. That's a given. Because we all come to this place where the good news, we know it's good news, but you know what? It stops being good news for us while it still is good news for other people, even in our own minds. We think about the gospel as something we share with others, not something that we desperately need every day for our existence. If you don't think the gospel, if you don't feel that the gospel is good news for you today, you're probably in need of revival. Does the truth bore you? Does God's word put you to sleep? You probably need revival. Are you more embarrassed or emboldened when people find out that you are a follower of Jesus. If you're more embarrassed than emboldened, you probably need revival. Are you unmotivated in serving God and doing the things that he's called and equipped you to do? And are you doing the things that God calls you to do because you have to, because it's duty, because it's, 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 what you're, it's what's expected of you? Or do you do it because you know that this is God calling me to do the good works that he has prepared beforehand for me to walk in? If you're doing it out of a sense of ritualistic obedience, you probably need revival. Are you uninterested in the means of grace that Jimmy was talking about? Prayer, the word, the, the communion of the saints, right? Corporate worship, singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Are you uninterested in these things? You probably need revival. Are you ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Are you refusing the call to repent? Are you returning to your old ways? Are you hiding your sin? Instead of confessing it, do you have a lack of love or a, a waning love for your brothers and your sisters or your church? Have you lost your heart for the lost? If so, you probably need revival. And if the joy of the Lord has left the building, and if gratitude no longer marks your experience of life that God has given you today, then you certainly need revival if you are arrogant and proud and full of complaining and bitterness then you need revival so will you seek it 
You need life, right? We need a fresh visitation from God, not in some crazy, cinematic, like miraculous way that the world is, 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 we're not talking about gold dust in the air. We're not talking about like audible voices from heaven making the houses shake. But we are talking about the miraculous, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that cannot be replicated. That is true. That doesn't change the tone or the mood of a room, but changes and renews the heart. That's what we need. And if, here's the thing, if you need it and if you seek it, I promise you, I promise you, you will find it. I don't make promises because I break them. And I don't make promises about what God's going to do because God gets to do whatever God wants to do. But I promise you, if you seek the Lord by faith, if you seek his reviving influence by faith, you will find it. And I say that because of what we read in Luke 11. You know the whole ask, seek, knock thing? Ask, seek, knock. I love it. Because there, Jesus assures us of how God the Father operates and that he promises to give us the Holy Spirit and his reviving work that we ask for. So in Luke 11, he says, uh, which of you, if he has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, that means he keeps on asking, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now listen to what he says. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? The answer is none. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? The answer is none. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Matthew doesn't have Holy Spirit. Matthew says good things. Luke's making the point. He gives the Holy Spirit. He gives reviving grace to his children when we ask for it. So how do you seek it? How do we seek it? If, if we seek it, we're going to find it. If you find yourself in need of revival, how do you go about it? Well, you don't seek it in any novel or new way. You don't do that. It's found in an ancient book. Revival is found in the old ways, not the new ways. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to download a program. You don't have to get the new app. You don't have to go see a guru. Revival comes from his spirit and it comes through his book. It's ancient ways. From the ancient of days. That's who grants us this. So how will we seek it? Uh, we seek it through God's word. In prayer. With the church. It's the most practical advice I can give you. It's the spirit who gives it, but you have to seek it. You're not going to get it if you don't seek it. I'll tell you that. 
James makes this point. You do not have because you don't ask. So why are you surprised? You will, if you seek it in the word, with prayer, in the context of the local church, you can find it. It is there, available, accessible. But yeah, you got to open that book. You got to cry out to the Lord and do so with God's people. You see, ultimately, that revival is, is experienced by those who have been humbled, those who have been brought low because of their sin or because of their weariness. Sometimes you need revival, not because you're hell-bent on being a rebel, but because you've been broken and wounded so badly that you have given up. And you've just begun to go back to your old ways. Yes, it's sin, but motives are different. In either case, it's the humble, those who have been brought low and see where they are and recognize their only hope of being rescued is the grace of God that is undeserved but liberally given. That's why we started with Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Who's this? This is the Lord, the Ancient of Days. Holy, 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 right? The one who is high, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. What does he say? I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God dwells in holiness and in glory, and with you when you are beaten down and feel as if you're dead, cold. He's there. But you just gotta ask, you gotta seek. Say, Lord, help me, wake me up. Renew my spirit. You see, he did it for David. You see, he did it for Peter. Peter was a train wreck. Look at what Peter is a train wreck from the moment Christ is arrested. And then the moment he receives the Holy Spirit and acts, he is a completely different bro. Let me put a really fine point on this as we're wrapping it up. Revival is not found in seeking revival. Revival is found in seeking God. Revival is found in seeking the Lord that you have drifted from. You know what it says in Acts 17? In Acts 17, Paul's preaching to the Areopagus. He's talking to all these pagans. And he's saying, like, this God that you're worshiping, the unknown God, let me tell you about this God. And he starts to unpack it, and he says, he says what? Uh, you know, this God doesn't need to be served with human hands as if he needed anything, because instead he gives everything, life and breath. And he goes on to say he's determined when you would be born and where you would live. He's determined the boundaries of your habitation. Why? He says that you may seek him and find him, though he is not far from each one of you. You seek God. Isaiah 69, verse 32. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Psalm 80, verse 18. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. If you're just seeking revival, you're seeking the spiritual buzz. You're seeking the experience. But if you're seeking God, you get the actual transformation. You will find it there. But you have to watch yourself. 
You have to watch yourself and you have to watch others. You have to see your condition. Where are you? Are you healthy? Are you sick? Are you wayward or are you weak? Are you weary? Are you dead? Some of you are probably spiritually dead. And I don't think that's a surprise to you. I think like me, you know you're dead. You're walking around and you're seeing spiritual life in other people. You're like, I'm dead. And they have life. And I want that life. Maybe you're not spiritually dead, but you feel it. Maybe you're weak and you're wayward either way. For both of you, the point is, the, the answer is to seek the Lord while you can. And eagerly anticipate the refreshing work, the reviving work of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, you will find it in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. He is the one. He is the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. He is the one who promised he would send another helper like him. It is his spirit that brings us to life and continues to give us life. So do not waste the time that God has given you. If you need revival, like many of us, seek it in God himself. Look to Christ, trust the Holy Spirit, open the book, stay with God's people. I believe you will be revived for God's glory, which is why he gives it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, uh, that you would revive us Lord, those of us that need it, would you revive us? Would you open our eyes to see what we're missing? Maybe we need to start by seeing our own waywardness or depravity or callousness. Lord, help us to see that we need revival if we do. And God, we pray that you would help us to see your glory, your goodness, your mercy. We pray that you would renew a right spirit within us and that we would have a zealous passion for you and for the lost that is grounded in truth not just emotions. God, we pray that you would cause us to persevere for your glory to the very end. We pray, Lord, that we would see revival not just in us, but let it start with us. Let it start with young people, Lord. And I pray that the revival would spread from person to person and church to church till there's a great awakening in America that ultimately spreads across the globe. For the fame of Jesus.